As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. After 20 years away, Newcastle have secured their place back amongst Europe's elite. A top four finish and a cup final appearance in their first full season under new ownership. Are Newcastle ready for takeoff under Eddie Howe? I'm Mark Chapman. This is the Athletic Football Podcast. St. James's Park, the best days since some of achieved under any So here for this one, we have the Athletics' Ollie Kay and George Culkin, who of course covers Newcastle for us. A, a beaming George. I mean, I, I mean, just can't stop. I mean, I've never... There've been smiles over the past few months, Ollie, haven't they? But but never, never the beaming face that we see in front of us today. It, it makes me it makes me wonder what he, whether he's on some kind of bonus for, for Newcastle getting reference week. <laughs> I, I, I need to I need to check his athletic contract. Uh, but uh, no, he looks he looks he looks happier than he does when he's just sort of finally stopped aching three days after running a, a marathon. <laughs> Who would have thought, who would have thought, George, that a nil-nil draw at home to Leicester would evoke such emotions and such an amazing atmosphere and such celebrations? Yeah, watching Newcastle have, whatever it was, 83% possession as opposed to it being the other way around. I mean, I'm still still getting used to that sort of idea. It's been an absolutely phenomenal season and to get back into the Champions League after so long, um, an extraordinary situation for the club to be in. Nobody nobody at the club was targeting that or predicting that back in August, but they've kept the momentum up from last season, obviously getting to a cup final along the way. And yeah, I, I mean, I am. I'm, I feel very happy about that as someone who, who loves Newcastle, but I also have a touch of sadness that it's coming to a that it's coming to an end because this is the team that's you know that's lifted Newcastle from where they were to into the elite or towards the elite and they will start to kind of break up now or more players will come in and it's 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 been a very special team and it's been very special to be around St James's this season. So in many ways look this is something to celebrate and we will do but but I do find that point really interesting because I suppose what we're talking about is 
a slight loss of innocence going forward. Yeah, I mean, in in fact, I mean, I'll sort of contradict myself now. I mean, the, I've used that phrase. I've used that phrase, innocence, to sort of to talk about the Kevin Keegan era and the Sir Bobby Robson era. It felt like a very sort of young, new club back then, back in the nineties and and early sort of two thousands. That was kind of everybody's second favorite team. I mean, I'm I know that's a cliche, but because of the way they played football, um, that sort of joyousness, there was a bit of that. This isn't an innocent new version of Newcastle. It's very different. They've made a virtue um, out of being aggressive on the front foot, going to other clubs and sort of having that attitude of of not caring what other people think about them. So in, in one respect, they haven't had that innocence, but you're right, this is a season where... I, th- I think the journey is kind of innocent in in some ways. Um, there is still that sort of incredible noise at St James's. Everybody longs to be there. The game itself, people are look looking forward to it. And I think that probably does begin to change once they've become more ex- established at that level. You know, and people sort of expect them to be good. At the moment, you're still going to games thinking, "Well, I hope they're going to be good, and I reckon they might be." And they were great last week, but there's still a little bit of that circumspection there because we're also used to things going wrong but and whilst they have gone ollie with that you know we're going to go here and we don't care what anybody thinks of us there is still we'll come on to the ownership a little bit later on and money spent and so on and so forth but from a football point of view there is still a joy to be found in them doing what they've done and i mean this wholly respectfully of the players i'm going to mention but with dan burn at left back with a a rejuvenated fabian share at center half with Joel Linton looking beyond any kind of player that he looked before Eddie Howe got there. With Callum Wilson up front, who's worked his way up the league. Nick Pope in goal. I mean, they've done it with they've done it with a, with a group of players who have improved and worked hard to get to where they are. Yeah, I mean, Sean Longstaff again, and um, yeah, uh, Jacob Murphy, who, who's started, I think, about a third of the games as well, or more, more than a third of the games. It, it's for all. The, the reasons for Newcastle's, you know, the main reason for Newcastle's growth and resurgence is obvious. It's it, it's the money and it's being, um, you know, it, it's the money that's come from Saudi Arabia and we'll talk about that. But it's, it's with that money in place, they have bought brilliantly and they've been coached and managed brilliantly. And a group of players who have, you know, when I talk about managed brilliantly, I mean, in terms of that group of players have been taken to a level which, I don't think I saw, I saw this performance level in in many of those players beyond perhaps Botman, Guimaraes, Pope, Trippier, Isaac. Beyond that sort of core of five or six, perhaps you've got so many players who are performing at the very very upper limit of their abilities. And again, that's not said disrespectfully. That is said with the greatest respect. I, I was looking at um, a team of the season um, last week, and I'm not. I can't remember how many Newcastle players I ended up with in my eleven, but you could almost make a, a case for a Newcastle player. In every position, whether it's Dan Burnett left back, Callum Wilson up front, you know there have been so many performers, you know, so many players who have performed so far beyond what what you'd have expected to them too. That's a massive tribute to Eddie Howe, and I I think it raises the question, you know, when when George says, "Well, look, this is the end of that team," I mean, surely this is the core that you build around, isn't it? I mean, I, I know I know some of those players will fall by the wayside, but surely with the num- increased number of games you've got, the increased demands on the squad. Um, obviously, there's a, a desire to reinforce at the top end of the squad, at you know, top level, bring in a couple of big hitters, by which I mean not necessarily A-list superstar types, but players who can elevate the team the way Trippier and Botman and others have. But surely it's not a case of 
getting rid of the old favourites, is it? No, no, no. It's not the end. I don't mean it like that. It's just in the sense that no two seasons are the same. It's a bit like that. You know, it's the class of 22, 23. It's been very, very special. And there are players who've been involved, you know, people like Matt Ritchie, who's not played very much, but has been absolutely integral. Same for someone like Jamal Lascelles. He's, he's club captain, but hasn't played. But, everyone, you know, whether they stay and whether they hang around. So there is that kind of very special feeling that they've got. But, you know, the point you make is is absolutely spot on. They're a team. They're a brilliant team. And I don't mind, you know, I think that I think the, the word brilliant is justified there because I think you can be a brilliant team in League Two. You can be a brilliant team yeah. in Sunday League. They are together. They're brilliant. I'm having to, at the moment, I'm having to write about Newcastle's player of the season. And it's very, very difficult because they've all, you can make a case for absolutely everybody in that in that first 11 12 13 and there are brilliant stories everywhere I'm you know please you mentioned Longstaff please you mentioned Dan Byrne they're people who either have this story of rising through the leagues um to get to the top top level Dan Byrne who watched so Bobby's Champions League team at Newcastle as a kid now has has got Newcastle back there Sean Longstaff who 2 years ago was a forgotten footballer he just, you know, he he barely existed as a footballer. He was disaffected. He was going through all sorts of um, kind of difficulties and they brought it back round. But to have that sort of sense of the Newcastle that they can be with players like Bruno and players like Botman, players like Isak, who, who give a taste of the club that they want to be, but still have it connected to the recent past, the team that got promoted a few years ago. Yeah, it's just a very special it's just a very special moment, I think. Is one of the reasons you can make a case for any of the players to be in a team of the year or to actually make a case for any of the play, any of the players to win their own Newcastle's player of the year? Because they've evolved over the course of the season. I mean, I, I sort of look back to the middle period through the League Cup period, and they were defensively incredibly sure. I mean, their defence was... Rem- the stat was, wasn't it the best defence in Europe's top five leagues or something? Or Nick Pope was the best guy, something like that, anyhow. And yet, it feels like in the last couple of months, they've absolutely started smashing goals in. I mean, you watch them week in, week out for 90 minutes. Have they evolved over the course of this season? I mean, they've evolved... I mean, one thing that isn't really talked about is how they've changed since last season. I mean, last last season they were they were kind of nicking nicking wins. They had brilliant momentum behind them, and then this season they've become a front foot football team where, you know, they swarm all over their opponents. I mean, the Brighton game just a few days ago was absolutely extraordinary. From the first kick of the game, which Brighton took, Newcastle pushed them backwards, and that's what mm. they're. That's what they're like now. They had a dip. And that's no, that's no easy feat against No, Brighton. absolutely not. <laughs> no, no, no. Brighton have been absolutely exceptional this season. And it is, it's this hunger, it's this power, it's this drive to push forward, um, incredibly aggressive in a positive, in a positive sense. They do still have the joint meanest defence in the in the country, along with Manchester City, in spite of not keeping a clean sheet for a while until until that game against Leicester. But it's just it's it's strength everywhere, yeah. And they have they've become as as I say. I mean, I made a flippant point at the at the start about watching Newcastle have eighty percent possession against Leicester. Newcastle were Leicester three years ago. They, that's what they did. They put everybody behind the ball, mm. and that the tactic was to try and nick something, and it's gone completely full circle. Um, and Leicester were Newcastle, weirdly enough. I was going to 
This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. They trusted me with the club when it was in, in really difficult times. And hopefully I've, uh, you know, I've justified their decision. So it's, um, yeah, it's a nice moment with them. Eddie Howe in, in all of this. The, the obvious first question is, Ollie. He's surprised everybody with with what he's done. He has. I, I've always been a you know a big admirer of of his, and I remember when when he when when Bournemouth were relegated and when when his perhaps stock was was going from sort of England manager in waiting, Tottenham manager in waiting, etc., to battling against relegation in that final season at Bournemouth. He was getting a lot of stick. There was a lot of you know people say, look look at the defensive record. He can't organise a defence. Look at his record in the transfer market. Even though it basically People were just sort of judging on one big buy that went wrong, mm. which is Jordan Ibe, as opposed to Jefferson Lerma, Dominic Solanke and uh, Dan Juma and all, all these very, very shrewd buys that he'd made at that time, never mind further down the, the, the leagues. He's always been a really, really impressive manager, really impressive coach, who I think we talk about managing a team to their limits. I think he more than did that at Bournemouth. And it was, you know, to keep him in the Premier League for five years was amazing. But I'm still surprised by the speed with which he he's done everything at, at Newcastle. I'm surprised by how tight they've been defensively. Not that I thought he couldn't organise defence, but that I thought because his teams would be so front foot and because he hasn't invested enormously in the defence, obviously you know, Trippier, Pope, Botman, it's, you know, they haven't come cheap, but he's still got Fabian Cher, who, who to me was a, a struggling Premier League defender when Eddie Howe arrived and, and he was, you know, he, he wasn't someone who was going to be integral in a, in a team that was going to be finishing the top four and have the best defensive or joint best defensive record in the Premier League. The way he has he has evolved, the way he's coached the team, the way he's managed the team, and also the way he's dealt with the spotlight, which comes with managing Newcastle. I think I think it's one of those handful of jobs where the, pub, the public hang on your every word, the media hang on your every word. I wondered whether, it was the same when he, when he was linked with Celtic two years ago, and he was very close to taking that. I thought, well, look, clearly in terms of coaching management, you can do that part of the job. Are you suited to being the manager of a club in a goldfish bowl, basically? Are, are you suited to being that that sort of you know, spiritual leader of a, a city or half a city as it would have been in Glasgow? And the answer is he, he's, he's absolutely risen to that at Newcastle. And mm. somebody who worked with him at Bournemouth at that time said, and this was with regard to Celtic, said to me, he won't do it in terms of his personality, his charisma, he will do it by the quality of his football and by the the way he presents everyone with a team that they can get behind and believe in and rally behind. And that's exactly what he's done. I, I think he's I think he's a, a fantastic manager. And I th- look at all the time, you know, you look at all the appointments, for example, Everton have made over the last few years. He's an Everton fan as a kid, by the way. 
he would have been perfect for them at any point over the last sort of six, seven years. Tottenham, the number of times they've sort of passed him over and thought, oh, Eddie Howe, is he really, is he really Tottenham? Um, and he's done a brilliant job. And it's right that he's up there in that debate about manager of the year. He is very good at that, to, to borrow Ollie's phrase there, George, being a spiritual leader, but doing it in, in his own way. I mean, you know, he was Mr. Bournemouth. You know, he'd played for Bournemouth, lived in Bournemouth. You know, he. so I, I realise Bournemouth isn't on the scale of, of Newcastle. But again, you're talking a one-club place where, you know, everything revolves around the football team and everybody knows who you are and in, in, in your day-to-day life. So he, he does have the same at Newcastle, obviously on a much grander scale, but he does it in... He does it in quite a calm and understated way, doesn't he? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean he's a nightmare at press conferences, really. If you I mean if you if you want if you want a manager to say something silly or that's gonna give you headlines, he's not your man. He reminds me in that sense a bit like Chris Hutton, who became manager during, you know, very, very yeah. Uh, sort of difficult time, did brilliant work, but was absolutely sort of took the sting out of everything uh off the pitch. But I think Ollie is, you know, Ollie is absolutely spot on. I think one of the kind of amazing things about him is that he's tapped into something that I think Newcastle fans had forgotten about themselves. Um, that, you know, certainly in football terms, you know, if you go back to the Ashley era, the, the, the cliche, the stereotype was Newcastle is that they're demanding too much. They want too much. What is it they, that they're after? They feel too much. You go back to the Keegan era, the Sir Bobby era, and it was this sort of expansive football. It was all about that. Now he's come along, and I think sort of after that decade of more of of, of not being understood, he, he's put this ethos into the team that goes places and doesn't care what you think. And he 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 was interviewed by Alan Shearer, which I sat in on at the start of this season, and he said things like, "I'm not here to just exist. I'm not here to be popular." You know, he doesn't care about that. Now, that is part, I mean, it becomes very ethereal, this, this kind of conversation, esoteric, but it's like that is part of the Northeast identity that we, we've been left to fend for ourselves and nobody's going to give you anything. And so you have to take it for yourself. And that is part of, you know, the, uh, the identity of this place. And he's put that into the football team. So it's like, don't patronize Newcastle. Don't pat us on the head and say, oh, St. James's Park, what a fantastic stadium, brilliant fans, but thanks very much for the three points. It's about, you know, we don't care. And so we'll fight for it. For, and he's now part of that also, I'm sure, has to do with the ownership and the response that there's been to that. But he's recognized that kind of part of the Northeast character and identity, which I think we'd all forgotten about. <laughs> And therefore, they've, without knowing it, I suppose they've all kind of worked together, haven't they? Fans, players, and staff, without actually asking each other to do it. It's has it? No, but I mean, I, mean, I, I don't. I don't recall. I don't recall players or or already house saying, "Oh, bring flags or do this." But it, no. it's just kind of happened. Yeah, but so so war flags who have been, you know, the the fans group who, uh, I mean, they're largely self funded. They're absolutely amazing. They're brilliant. They they stayed away you know, towards the end of the Ashley era after Benitez left the club and then they've kind of come back. The the novelty at Newcastle is still going to the stadium and everybody being on the same page because you, you know, you don't have to go back too far to remember, you know, for a decade and more, even if things were going well, which most of the time they weren't, there would be songs about the ownership. And it's been like that for 10 years. It's been like that for a decade and more. 
And suddenly you've got Newcastle where everybody's on the same page. Everybody's wanting the same thing. You see, I mean, I don't, you know, I honestly don't think I am biased. I don't think there's a better place to watch football than St. James at the moment in terms of atmosphere. And it's still fresh. It still feels fresh. People that sense of looking forward to going to the game, knowing that the team will turn up. And knowing that everyone's on the same page, of course, that's what it should what it should be all about. But it hasn't been for so long, and it's incredibly powerful at Newcastle. As somebody with absolutely no connection with Newcastle at all, unlike so, I'm not biased in any way. Going to St James's, Ollie, this season on the occasions that I've been has been an absolute joy, and the atmosphere the atmosphere has has been some of the most special atmospheres that I've been to. This season, and the other thing, and people may not think, you know, this is a bit of an industry thing, but I also think it reflects on what the club are trying to do. So people may not be bothered about this or not. They've been an absolute delight to deal with this season of the club. They've been accessible, but they have. They've been accessible and open. They've provided people for interviews across TV and radio. They've allowed access to the to the dressing room. And people might think, well, obviously they're trying to sweeten you up and get you to say nice things, but it's actually quite refreshing to deal with with people who are nice and open in football. And there are some other clubs who are doing similar, you know, Brighton or another who've been a joy to to deal with. But it's just a nice place to work and, and, and and be at from time to time. Yeah, it is. I mean, and that definitely hasn't always been the case in terms of Newcastle's relationship with with the media. And maybe we shouldn't um, be influenced by it all, Ollie, but we are, aren't we? We are. I don't think we are because I think I think I, th- I think we're praising the team's performance. We're 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 praising the the recruitment strategy. I think we, as a media, have frequently questioned the morality, the ethics of the takeover. Mm. Those questions still happen, and they must happen. I, I don't think any club ever gets an unconditionally good press or an unconditionally bad press. And I think most of the time when a club's getting criticised, it's normally the same criticisms that fans are, are making anyway. Um, maybe it's slightly different in the case of a, a Manchester City or a Newcastle where it's uh, you know an incredibly popular ownership regime which has delivered things beyond the fans' wildest dreams while perhaps leaving the rest of the world to look at the uh, you know what might be the small print. And I suppose, George, on that, that there will be people going. Well, of course, they're going to be, you know, open and uh, you know, and try and put their best foot forward and 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 put people up for interviews because then that will distract you from talking about the ownership or focusing on, on that. I mean, that's what people will be saying listening to this podcast, won't they? Yeah, and that's you know, that's that's absolutely that's absolutely fair enough. Um, but most of the people at the club were, were there. Pre-takeover, you know, I'm talking about staff. They're they're rebuilding their departments, um, but they're still really at the beginning of that. And there are a lot of people there who've always wanted the best for the club, have tried their hardest, but there's been a very low glass ceiling, and it's that's been the way it is. But they want to tell their stories, and there are, there are plenty of people there who are really good at their job and deserve, you know, deserve that that platform on that stage. And it's these are all, you know, these are very delicate and difficult. Subjects. I mean, it's you know something, something that I, I sort of think about a lot. But you know, for example, I've I've really enjoyed watching the women's team at Newcastle, who are now part of the club for the first time, having been sort of shunted out to the foundation before. They're now 
properly inside the club's fold with a permanent manager, full-time manager. And you can argue that that is absolute sports washing in action and and all the rest of it. But it's also something that Amanda Staveley talked about from her first attempt to buy the club when uh, Saudi Arabia weren't involved. And they're they're doing a lot of things right, and you have to say that too. They have they have they they haven't put much of a foot wrong, either on or off the pitch. And you know that has to be you know there has to be some nuance in this in this debate as well. I think, and yeah, of course, when they finish in the top four, people say that's a victory for money. And perhaps you know in five years' time, ten years' time, it will be a victory for money. But at the moment, it's a victory for spending money well. What have um, they spent, has... George? What have they spent on the well, team? Well, so I mean, so it's about two hundred and fifty million quid. It's around that in three windows on eleven players. I think now that is a lot of money. But you know, one thing you have to to point out to balance that is that they spent twenty five million quid over one on one player in the two windows before that. You can look at Chelsea and see how much money that they've thrown at the club since their takeover from a much higher base than Newcastle's. And plenty of other clubs in recent times, not you know, not picking on Everton particularly, but they spent a huge amount of money, but it was wasted um, with no kind of Manchester clear. Manchester United have, yeah. So Newcastle could not be where they are without that money. I mean, I think that's 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 absolutely fair to say. But it's what they've spent it on and how they've done it, and building on an ethos that was there and some good players who were there too. You know they've they've got an astonishing hit rate in the transfer market, both in terms of what has been needed at a specific moment, like Chris Wood, for example. You know they paid over the odds for him; they knew that twenty five million quid, but it paid itself back because they stayed up and they've got decent money back from Nottingham Forest. But also on you know on growing and building. Eddie Howe said last night after the Leicester game that this will be the hardest window that they've faced, which is some. Which is some statement, bearing in mind that in the, that first January last year, he was effectively acting as director of football and was intrinsically involved in everything they were doing, and it was sleepless nights in that window. So to say that this will be the toughest is is some statement. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wonder where they'll be looking, Holly. I, my my mind goes back to sort of fairly early Liverpool under Klopp, where they made some really clever. Ironically, actually, Newcastle went down, didn't they? And they brought they bought Wijnaldum from. That's right, George, isn't it? I, so my mind goes back to that summer where 
Liverpool were quite canny in where they brought players in. They looked at the best players at relegated clubs and brought them in, like Wijnaldum. Now, you look at the teams that are going down, there could be some really interesting players for Newcastle there, Ollie. Yeah, there could, I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of throwing names out there. I mean, someone like Romeo Lavier at, um, at Southampton. I mean, mm-hmm. there are, I, I don't want to wish relegation on Leeds or Leicester or Everton, but, you know, there are obviously, um, there are obviously players at those clubs. I mean, James Madison... Springs to mind. I know they've they've been interested in him in him before, but I I think the the reference to Klopp, you know, early Klopp era at Liverpool, where they were where they were looking at players who you know rather than going to you know, going out to get really big names, they were looking at guys who were you know Salah was a big name in in Italy. Mm. Allison was was playing brilliantly at at, um, at Roma. Van Dijk was doing really well at Southampton, but it, it's probably, you know, in terms of the food chain, it's not doing the thing that I think a lot of new moneyed clubs have done, which is be desperate for a, a cast off, a, a big name player who's out of favour at Real Madrid or Bayern Munich or Barcelona or whatever. And I think you look at Everton's, some of Everton's buys under, under Mishiri and a lot of the time they've gone for, a, you know, a cast off from Manchester United or Juventus or Arsenal or Barcelona rather than getting the kind of hungry, hungry players that are on the way up. Like the best part of Chelsea's buys under under Abramovich was when they were buying people like Czech and Robin and Essien and, and um, Carvalho. Yeah, Duff. Yeah, Duff. But it was when you're buying players who are on the way up and who see your club not just as a as a payday, but as, as a place where they can really fulfil their potential. I think Man City have been at their best when when they've done that. It's not what they were doing in the early years when they were going big names, Adebayor, Toure, etc. cetera, uh, Tevez. It, it's, it's what they were doing. It's what they've done with people like De Bruyne, Sane, um, even people like Diaz, Laporte, Rodri. It's what Liverpool have done with Salah, Mane, Van Dijk, Fabinho, Alisson, from clubs who are just that little bit lower down the food chain. I think that's what, New, what Newcastle will do because if you look at them buying you know, from Lille, both from Lyon, Real Sociedad. I think that's I think that's what they do. What they will do, they won't go famous last words. You know, it's clear Neymar is being punted around left, right, and centre. I'm sure it would be very natural for him, for his people, to go to um, Newcastle's people and say, "Look, can we have a conversation?" I can't see Eddie Howe and Dan Ashworth and Newcastle going down that route at all. I think they will go for young, hungry, up and coming, ambitious, rather than players thinking, "Well, that looks like a good payday." And I think there's, you know, I mean, I, I go back to go back to last January and them signing Trippier, and what a what a moment that was, you know. Get, but getting him, getting him to sort of believe in what they were doing, you know, I think that was a that was a key thing. Same with Bruno Guimaraes. Neither of them joined with relegation clauses in their contracts. I mean, it was a leap of faith, massive leap of faith by by both of them. That's the level they're still at now. At some point, you know. At the moment, their owners are on something, top owners are on something like 120 grand a week, somewhere around that. Now, to be a Champions League club and to be a consistent European club, they'll have to start paying more. And I think they're at this sort of delicate, quite interesting, delicate balance now where they don't want to disrupt what they have inside the dressing room, both in terms of wages and also in terms of atmosphere. They want people to believe in what they're doing. Now, that's become a lot easier this season because they've got into the top four they've got to a cup final they can show people and demonstrate and say this is working this is our model and it's working grow with us and 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 but it, you know it won't work it won't work forever because if you want a if you want a champions league squad over a period of time 
and to carry on getting bigger and better, they'll have to start buying bigger players and better players and paying them more money. Final one. This wasn't expected this season to be to be qualifying for the oh, Champions no. League. Do, I wonder, does it from now on change internal and external expectations? I think it's. I think it has to. Yeah. I mean, I think it has to up to a certain point, and I feel quite sad about that. I mean, because as I say, it's been such a sort of uh, you know journey of discovery and all that sort of stuff. Going to the game, starting to think that Newcastle might win today, but not quite daring to believe it and um you know all of those old all of those sort of old feelings kicking in you know i was brought up to expect newcastle to lose and um and when it's when it's anything else it's a it's a it's a pleasure it's a delight and it's a surprise i've still got that feeling of surprise but you know it doesn't that won't last that won't last and if they finish third or fourth then there'll be part of you or part of the fan base or part of uh people outside the club will be saying that they should automatically do it again next season. I think that's yeah. just the way it is. And I think it'll be tough. You know, it becomes tough. It's going to be their first season back in Europe. They've got a small squad. They will invest. They'll give it a go. But it's going to be a challenge. Um, and so, yeah, I think there needs to be, I think there needs to be a bit of understanding for that, for that, uh, for that next season. And of course, the dynamics change because once you've had that first taste of it, you get, you kind of get used to it. Because you don't, I, I kind of, you don't want to end this on a on a downer. But honestly, Ollie, you could see them. Let's say, say they don't get through the group stage in the Champions. Let's say they get a really difficult group stage draw in the Champions League and end up finishing sixth in the Premier League. That that's still, I mean, it's all relative. It's still a season where you go. Do you know what? That's been great. We've gone to some places in Europe. We're still in the top half. Not everybody can finish in the top four every year. There are going to be seven or eight clubs who now will expect to be top four every season. So I'll be having huge discussions about where Newcastle go from here just because they haven't replicated what they've done this season. It should be it should be more difficult next season. I mean, they, you know, they've, they've not had, I mean, obviously there was the League Cup run, but but they've not had a huge demand fixture-wise and on, on the squad this season. It's, it immediately becomes harder when you're in Europe, when you're, when you've got, when you've got midweek games, which is going to be six six midweek games before you know, mid-December, it becomes more difficult. And I, I don't think anybody... Look, the progress Newcastle have made to go from relegation-threatened team first half of last season to comfortable mid-table team by the end of last season to currently third in the Premier League, and I think really deservedly third in the Premier League. I think they've been, I, I think they've been the third best team in the country. To go from that to suddenly, I, I don't know, if people are thinking they're going to challenge for the title, that they're going to, you know, go a long way, go deep in the Champions League. Look, they might do both of those things. They might do either or neither of those things. But it's really difficult. It's difficult to make that jump. Um, it's difficult to keep a dog quiet after you've had it for, for two years and <laughs> get it to respect the, the art of the podcast. Um, there can't be an expectation that it's always on a steep upward trajectory. I think there will be moments where Eddie Howe and this group of players almost inevitably hit a point where you're thinking, well, all right, okay, then they're going to they're gonna need to go again here. They're going to need to find a way to get around this because at the moment, the first 18 months or, or so under Eddie Howe has been spectacular. It's been beyond anyone's wildest dreams, really. He's done a brilliant job and I think he's deserved, and here the players have deserved the, the right to be able to have more time and, and more opportunity to fix things if if they hit a plateau sometime over the next 12 months. Yeah, I mean, I, it reminds me of something um, during one of the 
several times that Mike Ashley tried to sell the club and then took the club off the market. But he did a kind of famous TV interview in which he said, I'm not going anywhere until Newcastle wins something. And by winning something, I also include qualifying for the Champions League as if that was a trophy. But the feeling at the club now is that, you know, so so when you ask them about the Champions League, are they ready? The answer to that very clearly is no, they're not ready. But the idea is, the big idea is not just getting there once. It's about being in Europe regularly, not to say they'll qualify next season, but it's about being there this time and then using this as a base to get there again and to get there again and again. And, um, you know, the, one, one of the amazing things about the club at the moment is that you're there and you know that they'll be stronger in a year's time. Again, it takes me back to when they finished fifth under Ashley and they bought one senior player in Vernon Anita and the next season was an absolute slog and it put Alan Pardew on the back foot. They struggled in the league. The run in Europe was very nice and good fun, but it was completely and utterly unsustainable. The team and the club will be stronger in a year's time. Might not look like it from the league table because it will be difficult and it will be different, but the club will be stronger and they'll put themselves in a position where they can do this again. And we will end it there. Thank you, George. Thank you, Ollie. For more from The Athletic, along with our daily podcast, you can subscribe for just £1.99 a month for the first 12 months. Head to theathletic.com slash football pod. See you tomorrow. The Athletic.